94.9 The Rock, the all-night show, Ed the Sock here. Now, many of you out there were first introduced to me and grew up with me on the nation's music station, Much Music, which uh, was so potent for so long before it died a sad death. Um, but there's so little out there on the internet that reminds us what Much Music was. It explains the magic that you can see for yourself. There are some scattered video clips, a lot of them vhs tapes that people uh, uploaded there's very little to mark the impact that much music had on a, a few generations of canadians and on canadian entertainment so i am glad that filmmaker sean menard managed to get the uh, cooperation of the current keepers of the flame of much music uh bell media and produce a documentary called 299 queen west which will have, be having its big premiere this Friday, September 22nd, at Roy Thompson Hall. Uh, tickets are available if you go to the Roy Thompson Hall uh, site. Sean, welcome. I appreciate it, Ed. Um, now, we should get out of the way first that you and I uh, got off on the wrong foot initially. No no sock joke intended there. Um, and uh, I think you can understand how, as somebody who... I mean, I bridged three generations of VJs. I was the longest serving VJ. I saw more changes in that channel than anybody. And people still to this day associate me with much music. It's part of the much music DNA. So when I found out that I wasn't being, I wasn't interviewed for this documentary, it was not, sure, I was a little ticked off. It was more the people saying, hey, are you in this? Hey, are you in this? And I was like, so I just put up a post. No, I'm not in this. Stop asking me. And uh, people uh, expressed their uh, their disappointment. Um, but we've buried the hatchet, and I'm, I've got you here, so you can explain why it is. I mean, I'm in the film. I understand in a clip or two, but why uh, you went about it and what your vision was for this film? Yeah, I mean, it was the first big piece of press that I ever did. It said the film stars Ed the Sock and then listed a whole bunch of other VJs. And I had to go back to, well, technically, you know, Ed's not, I mean, he's in the film, but I didn't interview him, um, which of course led us to uh, internet. Uh, I don't know, is it, is it beef? Is it, I don't know what the terminology these days are, but um, just beef know works. that, uh, <laughs> just know nothing but love on this side. I, you know what I, and by the way, I have now pissed off a lot of, former VJs uh, that didn't make the cut and I've, and I'm learning um, of what's happened here. But what I, what I did was I, I chose a couple VJs for each generation and I had them really speak about uh, the growth and evolution of music. So there was a lot of footage where they're sitting down with these iconic musicians in the eighties and nineties and two thousands. And it really, you know, tells this great story about this scrappy underdog environment with seemingly no rules and no budget and a lot of beauty that came out of that, but it's also telling the story of where music went from the rise of music videos at the birth of much music into the internet and YouTube in the early 2000s. Now, why did you choose to focus on the development of music as opposed to the development of the channel? Because there was distinct eras of much music. I came in at the tail end of the Steve Anthony uh, era uh, the tail end of John Martin. I was there through Denise Donlan and then uh, Dave Kynes. Um, there were distinct phases uh, of much music that grew and developed in its own way. Why focus on the music, not the channel? 
Well, it does focus on the channel. I mean, they're they're both telling the same story congruently. I mean, you can't tell the rise of music without telling uh, where much music went and vice versa in this world. Um, but from there, it was really about showing this, um, you know, version of Canadian music journalism that didn't exist elsewhere in the world. Um, you know, I tried to make this film for six years. I had approached Bell Media after the success of my last film. It's called The Carter Effect. I mean, that was a very Toronto-centric story that upon its release worldwide on Netflix, it was a top five uh, um, streaming. Uh, I'm not sure the terminology, wow. but it was very successful. Was on Netflix, you must have got like residuals of about seven cents. <laughs> yeah, there was no residuals. Uh, I got a bad deal, but it was a beautiful deal in the sense that this was a story that I had tried to make with the Carter effect with Canadian networks for four or five years. And everyone kept saying, nobody cares about that story. Everyone knows it. So that film and seeing its success around the world gave me confidence that when people kept saying that about much music, believe it or not, and the rights holders at Bell Media kept saying now, um, I never really gave up. I wanted to keep going and I wanted to make a film that, I mean, at first I pitched it as a documentary series because to me, I thought, I mean, this could easily be 10 hours and we can dive into a lot more and I can have less VJs that are upset at me included. But this particular film ends up being two hours and it came to a point where I just, you know, I had to self-finance it. I had to put up my house in order to um, pay for the production costs and post-production. And eventually, and I'll say this, there was one guy at Bell Media that always believed in it. His name was Justin Stockman. Justin Stockman? Is. Yeah, because Justin and was there. Justin, I mean, I've, I I almost uh, came back to much at a point in time. And uh, Justin was an advocate. Justin was there. I worked with Justin. Um, he understands. He gets it. He knows what much music was because he was part of it. And he is a, a very, I mean, he's a smart guy. He didn't rise from where he was to where he is now by being a dummy. Um, the guy understands entertainment. He understands where the zeitgeist is. So I am not surprised that he was your ally. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm very fortunate that Crave exists in a way that it allows you know a home for it. I mean, eventually, I mean we're taking this film across the country, but it's going to end up there streaming at some point in December, I believe. But I, you know, it's interesting. Even when I was in there today to do some media, there's no signs of anything from the past. It's almost as if they've taken it down and and moved moved forward, which is kind of crazy when you think about how revolutionary that channel was and everything it stood for. And so I hope a film like this allows them to embrace um, where they've been and um, allow you know people to to feel cathartic in 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 these great childhood and teenage memories that everyone seems to have. Well, I don't fault them because the people who knew how to make much music, are no longer there. Many of them are no longer in the TV business. And Bell Media, the people who work there, they know how to make a certain kind of TV. So better that they stick to what they know how to do than trying to do something that really you couldn't put together a manual or a workbook about how to do it. It just, you had to do it. So I get where they're coming from and the changes in the economic structure of, of TV. Why did you feel so passionate about this that you put your house up? In order to do this film, I, because I, I I don't really like when people try and tell me that 
an idea that I'm so passionate about can't be done or nobody cares. Cause I know they're wrong. I know that there are legions of, of fans and people out there that really much music meant a lot. It was during formative years in their youth. I grew up with it. I mean, raised by a single mom and two older sisters, I, the VJs were very much babysitters to me in the nineties at home, sitting in front of that television. And I wanted to recreate that experience um, through this film and through the archives. So, and I had also learned that those archives eventually have shelf life, uh, meaning if they're not digitized, they will eventually erase. And that's Canadian history down there. That's painful to, to hear that. So, I, you know, I'm pretty honored to say that 95% of the footage in this film was digitized straight from those tapes. And because of, you know, the success and uh, media attention that my film has been able to have now Bell Media has decided, okay, you know, this is pretty important. And we are going to look at how do we start the process of digitizing all of this? Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. You say that there are people who are like, nobody cares about much music. I often find people in charge of media, God love them are the people most detached from what people actually want to see. And I, I think it's because they come from a different stream and so on. But the number of times I've faced people saying, well, nobody's interested in that. And then it turns out everybody's interested in that. It's uh, it's not surprising. And yeah, that is history, those videos. I have maybe a couple hundred hours of tape of me on Much Music doing various things with various people that I plan to digitize. It's a long story. I had it set up in my house and I moved and now the stuff doesn't work. But I plan to do that because there's so little out there. So it's good that there is, even if I'm not in it much, which as you must must acknowledge is an error, um, There, uh, it's good that there's going to be something there, a piece of media that people can go to, can find when they're curious about much music. And they'll never get a complete sense of the channel from a two hour documentary, but they'll get something. They'll get some idea of why people are so fond of this, why it has an emotional resonance to this day. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, just, and and to be clear, I mean, putting up my house to be able to finance it, I, I'm, I'm rather fortunate in a sense because it allowed me to have complete and utter creative freedom. I didn't have to put things in that, you know, if Bell Media is financing it, well, when I start to cover the the downfall of much music, how how is that going to go? Because I, because I need to be able to tell a story where it's accurate. Um, that's showing all sides or, or rather not necessarily my opinion, the opinions that are coming from the individuals in the film. So that's the thing. It, the narrative is all told through the VJs. So I, ha I have an idea of why maybe much music started to jump the shark and fall down a cliff and be no longer relevant, but it's up to the VJs that are in the interview to be able to articulate that. And everyone kind of had, a different saying and a different opinion. But I think for me, at the end of the day, what I'm seeing, unfortunately, in the modern landscape of television, and especially up here in Canada, is that, you know, what made Much Music such a magical channel is that they were really trendsetters. And then they switched to being trend followers. And that's a dangerous game to play in the arts um, because things move so fast. And exactly what you touched on there, Ed, is, is, you know, when media executives that are a little out of touch with audience are making those decisions, it's very difficult. Well, you listen, you could have got me on camera telling you why it went downhill, because I know I was there, I saw it, I was interacting with management, I know why it died. And yeah, 
uh, it went from being a trendsetter to a trend follower. And uh, that didn't happen by accident. It was a deliberate plan by people who had no idea really what much music was about. Uh, I, I quit before it ended. I, I saw the iceberg coming and I said, get in a rowboat. Uh, but, uh, it, it was, but it was very sad for me to see what happened to it. Because that's something that uh, I put blood, sweat and tears in. Everybody involved in much did. And the audience was a huge part of that. Like we built that channel together. The, the management, the, the technical people, the talent and the audience. And for all of us to see this thing that we invested so much in uh, just wither and become a copy of, you know, there was one management person who said, who had MTV on in their office and you'd go in, they'd say, why can't we do shows like that? And I was thinking, one, our audience doesn't want it. Two, we have about one one millionth of the budget. Uh, so anything we do is going to look comparatively lame and is going to look like we're chasing copying somebody else. Uh, so like I said, I, I could go on. Um, and there are videos online where I have, but nonetheless, um, I mean, I'm not sure when I will watch, uh, this film. You have kindly invited me to come see it, uh, on Friday at Roy Thompson Hall. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I, it, cause I was there. It's very hard for me to maybe see it from somebody else's eyes or cause all I'll see is what's not there. Um, so I got a unique, but for people who were who grew up on it? This is a great way to get an inside look uh, at what they had. They were looking at through their screens. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's really a celebration of that channel and what it stood for, and it really embraced the audience. I mean, of course, there's you know corporate politics and some terrible creative decisions, but let's face it. Also, YouTube didn't help a channel that was really created for a home of the music videos, and then all of a sudden, people can have access to it and watch it. So, but what's interesting about that is, you know, when I was making this film, there was so much that didn't exist in the archives because they just didn't have the space. Um, there would be those moments between music videos that were just hours that you guys had to fill. And to me, that was some of the most beautiful little segments that went live to air. And what was miraculous about it is that so many people back then had taped them on their VHS players. And then during COVID with seemingly nothing to do and all this time on their hands, started to go through those tapes and upload them onto YouTube. So we actually, I mean, what I'm trying to do with this film is recreate the experience of what it was like to sit at home in your living room and you never knew what was going to come on next. And a lot of the beauty are those moments between the music videos. So in the film, you know, we actually sourced a bunch of those VHS tapes that fans had actually recorded at home and, and put them in the film. So I, I hope, I hope you change your mind and come out to the, come out to the movie, man. We're, we have national press there. Uh, a lot of your fellow VJs, I uh, saw some of them today and I was saying you were thinking about coming and their faces were lighting up. I mean, I just, it would be amazing to have Ed the sock on the red carpet. Well, uh, first of all, you should have contacted me because I have those moments. The tapes that I have are those VJ moments from in between videos. I got tons of it. Um, and the, the audience didn't know what they were going to see. Neither did we. We didn't really know what we were going to. There was no planning. That was part of the magic. Um, and the idea that YouTube killed much music is bull. The fact is, much music was YouTube before YouTube. People didn't watch much music just for the videos. They watched for the personalities, what we said about the videos, how we contextualized them, how we goofed on them. People watched personalities. Much music could have owned YouTube, but instead they waved a white flag.
yeah, and you don't really see anything. Yeah, I, I like how you how you put that as contextualizing. There's nothing really like that anymore. And it was a place where sometimes when I sit down to listen to music, I don't necessarily want to listen to an algorithm that someone's made that's variations of the same style. And that was one of the coolest parts about the station back then is especially in the nineties, you had all, you know, the rise of hip hop music and electronic music and grunge and punk. You didn't really know what you were going to get next. And there was a real magic to that. Well, there was a programmer named Craig Halkett who was the brains behind how that channel put music together. I remember all these people hearing that you wouldn't get just a whole hip hop pack. You wouldn't get a whole pop pack. You would get music in there that you wouldn't necessarily seek out, but now you would discover it. And uh, Craig uh, deserves the credit for that and his team. But um, maybe, uh, listen, maybe I'll come out. I don't, I don't know. Uh, how much of this film am I in, by the way? Um, I'll, I'm going to level with you, Ed. Not a lot. But, you know, I just think that when we have a, a sold-out crowd at Roy Thompson Hall, over, you know, around 1,800 people, uh, just the fact that you're in attendance, maybe maybe you want to ask a question, maybe we can find a way to work you into the into the night, I think would be pretty special. Um, and I think fans will get a kick out of it. And to be honest with you, and, I, and I've sent you in an email, I'm sure that you're going to be contacted about, I, I, I think there's a world where an entire film, I mean, I'm certainly sure an episode or if it's a series on Ed the Sock is warranted, especially knowing that you have so much of this archive footage. Well, I, I already have been contacted uh, quite a while ago about a documentary, but that's another story. Um, well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, well, there's, certainly... an, there's an easy, easier path now, you know, before I think when this you know comes out, I think it's going to um, there's going to be a bit of an effect of people in Bell Media recognizing, wow, this is valuable footage that people really love to see. I mean, to me, why don't they just take the much music channel and start playing all these old archives on repeat. I, I think the viewership numbers would be, would be an, an, an incredible. I, I'm not sure they... what the, what's going on on that channel as much right now, they don't know what to do with it. And you know what the, uh, also on this show, 94, nine, the rocks all night show and the entire station, you've got what we had back in much music, which is music, not curated by algorithms. It's music curated by people. There, there are people thinking about this and putting it together it's not just thrown open to a uh, an algorithm which determines well if people like this they'll like that so uh, you know and i i'm proud that on the show i uh, cut some of the show, the music they want to play in order to play some lesser played music or lesser discovered music so it's still out there it's on radio right now uh because that's where the freedom is uh and uh, who knows, maybe someday it'll come back to, to video. But uh, uh, good luck, Sean. And uh, uh, thank you for joining me on uh, the All Night Show on 94.9 The Rock. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ed. And hopefully I'll get to see you there on Friday.